Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15, called The Kingdom Prayer. And so our prayer, three vertical petitions, let's just make sure we got them, that his name be hallowed, that his kingdom come, and that his will be done. Now that's the first part of the prayer. Let's look at now moving from the vertical to the horizontal. That is now a focus on our needs. Verse 11 says, give us, notice it's a plural again, give us this day our daily bread. Augustine, Jerome, Erasmus said this represents communion bread or the word of God. It could not represent such mundane, mundane things as some, something to eat. That's what they said. I think they're more spiritual than a lot of us. And I think they may be trying to be more spiritual than Jesus. Because Jesus fed the 5,000, then the 4,000. He was concerned about practical needs. And I believe that he's concerned about our practical needs. And while I believe that give us our daily bread could be extended to spiritual things like God's word and you know spiritual resources that we need, our daily bread is just that. It's our physical needs. And in the first century, the people listening to Jesus literally probably had to pray about their daily bread. It it was unknown for much of world history that anyone would be thinking about 401ks and retirement because people pretty much live day to day. And in fact, in other countries right now, there are people who literally pray for their daily bread and pray that God will answer that prayer. And if they get it, they're happy. They're not thinking about all the things we think about in the West. I'm not saying those things are wrong. I'm just saying in a first century kind of mindset here, to pray for daily bread was a very real thing. This is not a prayer about excess. It's not a prayer for a shiny new vehicle or an indoor swimming pool. And one writer said, we shouldn't even think about praying for cake. It should be bread. (laughs) Like, if you pray for that maple bar in Jesus' name... And maybe pray that that kid who's eyeing that maple bar doesn't take it because it belongs to you. That's an unbiblical prayer. (laughs) But on a serious note, God does care about our needs. He doesn't really care about our greeds, but he does care about our needs. There's a whole movement in professing Christianity called the prosperity gospel. And basically, the teaching is you can name and claim whatever you want. You can name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it. <laughs> Let me just say that that's not going to work in Africa. That only works in the, in the West where we have so much at our fingertips that that would hook us. But that teaching is nonsense. While God does bless his people, He doesn't want us enamored in all the shiny objects. If we've got some shiny objects, praise his name. But that's not, that shouldn't be the orientation of our lives to build our little kingdom here. I want you to see something that maybe you haven't seen before. The us give us our daily bread, give us this day our daily bread, the bread for today, and some think even the bread for tomorrow. Give us this day our daily bread is is plural. 
So let's just say I've got what I need for today. Then I could pray that the Lord would supply for a family who's not doing well. And maybe I'll become the vehicle by which the Lord would have that supplied, and maybe not. Maybe I'm called just to pray for that family. But if I know someone lost their job, I know someone's living to paycheck to paycheck, maybe my prayer should be for them instead of for me. Give us our daily bread. And so I think this is good, once again, to widen out the way we think about prayer. God desires to meet our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. There's nothing wrong with praying for your needs and walking them out to to not just physical but spiritual and emotional needs as well. I think God delights to meet those for us as well. And you might say, Lord, my resources, I'm feeling low today and you're not talking about that you don't have a loaf of bread in the cupboard but maybe emotionally you're spent or whatever it may be. I think you can... You can use this as a prayer for that. Look at the second thing. Forgive us our debts. So the second of the three petitions on the human side, if you will, is again plural. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So when we are praying, we know we need the physical bread, but one of the things that our souls need is forgiveness. We need to receive it and give it. Give me, Lord, both the bread of heaven and of earth, that which feed my, feeds my soul and sustains my body. Give me, Lord, a forgiving heart so that I don't become, if I can put it this way, crusty. Or if I don't, that I don't have tentacles of roots of bitterness you know, all throughout my spiritual life. Something hit me this week that some of the greatest prayers ever prayed in the Bible were prayed by godly people who were taking ownership of their people's sins. Amos 7, 2 says, O sovereign Lord, please forgive us, or we will not survive, for Israel is so small. Moses said, now, if you will, for, if you will forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out of your book, which you have written. Philemon, verse 18, Paul says, if Onesimus has wronged you in any way, or if he owes you anything, charge it to me. From the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. A kingdom prayer is not just about forgiveness for me as much as I need it. And if I think about the word debt, the the word debt is one of five New Testament words for sin. And Luke uses the word sin. Sin is a moral debt to God. I owe God my gratitude. I owe God my existence. I owe God my allegiance to his commands, but I have fallen short. And if my debt were to be piled up to heaven, it would be an astronomical debt I owe to God. But thanks be to God that he no longer keeps a record of my sin. Thanks be to God that my sin was nailed to the cross by his beloved son taking my punishment. Thanks be to God that he, he's no longer counting my sins against me. If he kept a record of them, I couldn't stand. Forgive us our debts. Maybe when I'd say, you know, when Job, in, early in the book of Job, Job was offering sacrifices for his children. Do you know why? Just in case they had sinned against the Lord, he was offering sacrifices on their behalf. Job was essentially saying, if my kids have sinned against you, Lord, please forgive them. If my family sinned against you, please forgive us. If my church in some way, the church has uh, offended you, please forgive us. If our nation has sinned against you, and boy, have we, 
Please forgive us. It is a petition for the kingdom of God to permeate. And we know that the kingdom of God can only permeate if there is saving faith. Our debt is a metaphor for offense to be forgiven. Commonly used among the Jews as moral or spiritual debt to God. The guy writing this was a tax collector, or at least a former tax collector, Matthew. He knew something about debt, didn't he? Tax collectors in those days could purchase a tax franchise from the Romans. They meet a quota that the Romans required, and then they could steal from their people. Little Zacchaeus in the book of Luke was a tax collector, that wee little man. And Jesus shared with him, and he repented and talked about repaying what he had taken from others. And so we have such an amazing God who's forgiven our debt And we need to be people who not only ask for forgiveness, but that we have also forgiven our debtors. Let me just say that since this is a prayer, it's not always easy to forgive those who have sinned against us. This is a prayer. So think about it this way. When you're wrestling with forgiveness, which we all will, some of you have had some pretty terrible things done to you. And it's not just that we can snap our fingers and say, I forgive him, I forgive her, I forgive them. But our prayer needs to be, Lord, would you mend my heart or move my heart in such a way that forgiveness would become a reality? And sometimes the only way I can really extend it is by you doing a work in my life. So forgive my debts and help me to forgive those who are my debtors. Some people have asked, does the word debt have to do with school loans and car loans? Nice try. (laughs) No, this is talking about sin. Now, I want you to see in verses 14 and 15, which would be kind of an appendix to the prayer, it gets harder. If you forgive men, 14, for their transgressions, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. And all God's people said, gulp. (laughs) Do you mean to say that my forgiveness is conditioned on my forgiving others? Well, that doesn't sound like the gospel because that sounds like something I have to do to earn salvation. But forgiveness is a free gift of God and it's, I don't know that it's conditioned on my forgiving everybody, but I will say this, I don't know how a believer could go on and on with an unforgiving heart in light of the forgiveness that we've received. If Jesus paid it all, there would be nothing so profane, says one writer, as to accept forgiveness for our sins, but leave unpardoned the sins of others. John Wesley was once approached by a man who was well known for his unbending nature. In a particularly prideful moment, this man boasted to Wesley, I never forgive. Wesley replied, then I hope you never sin. (laughs) Augustine called Matthew's version right here the terrible petition. For if we pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors with an unforgiving heart, we're actually asking God not to forgive us, said Augustine. Spurgeon, on the other hand, called this a blessed requirement to forgive others. He said, quoting, it may be a blessing to be wronged since it affords us an opportunity for judging whether we are indeed the recipients of the pardon which comes from the throne of God. Very sweet it is to pass by other men's offenses against ourselves 
For thus we learn how sweet it is to the Lord to pardon us. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Hi, I'm Rob Newton, Program Director for the Walk in Truth Program. This year has given Walk in Truth many reasons to be thankful. Walk in Truth has reached more listeners than ever before with seven radio stations throughout the country, including right here in Southern California. In addition, Pastor Michael's teachings are listened to by thousands of people around the world thanks to the podcast. This year has brought new blessings as well. Listeners can listen to Walk in Truth's daily episodes, watch videos, and read the Bible through the new Walk in Truth app. The app also allows for new possibilities we hope to launch next year. Stay tuned for that. I am also very happy to announce that thanks to recent giving by some members of Living Truth and Walk in Truth listeners, we now have the funds to broadcast in San Diego on KPraise 106.1 FM and AM 1210. The Lord is moving, making His gospel known, and like many other Living Truth ministries, He's using the Walk in Truth program to do it. We are thankful for your partnership and for your prayers. We can't wait to see what the Lord does with the Walk in Truth program in 2024. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. I will say this. I don't know how a believer could go on and on with an unforgiving heart in light of the forgiveness that we've received. If Jesus paid it all, there would be nothing so profane says one writer, as to accept forgiveness for our sins but leave unpardoned the sins of others. John Wesley was once approached by a man who was well known for his unbending nature. In a particularly prideful moment, this man boasted to Wesley, I never forgive. Wesley replied, then I hope you never sin. (laughs) Augustine called Matthew's version right here the terrible petition. For if we pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors with an unforgiving heart, we're actually asking God not to forgive us, said Augustine. Spurgeon, on the other hand, called this a blessed requirement to forgive others. He said, quoting, it may be a blessing to be wronged since it affords us an opportunity for judging whether we are indeed the recipients of the pardon which comes from the throne of God. Very sweet it is to pass by other men's offenses against ourselves. For thus we learn how sweet it is to the Lord to pardon us. You know, when we forgive, it frees up our prayer life and it frees us up as well. We are not burdened by unforgiveness. Uh, Psalm sixty-six, eighteen says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And I think most of you, if not all of you know, 1 Peter 3, which talks about if you don't treat your spouse in the right way, your prayers will be hindered. What does that mean? I don't know exactly. I don't know if it means that we'll hit a ceiling or if we'll be hindered from praying the right way or for our spouse or whatever it means. But one thing I know, I don't want my prayers being hindered. So I don't want to be in that situation. So forgiveness really is a freeing thing, although I won't say to you it's an easy thing. It can become a spiritual heart monitor, though, in terms of where I'm at with the Lord. And it leads nicely into the final uh, petition, which is in verse 13, do not lead us into temptation. Let me just say 
that the us, once again being plural, means that you could pray for other people that they would be kept from falling into temptation and sin. Amen? I heard one time a pastor say that uh, he told a guy who was struggling with lust, every time that you have a lustful thought, pray for five other men that you know struggle in the same category and turn a possible negative into a positive because you'll be, begin to beat the gates of heaven for others that might have the same struggle. Lead us not into temptation. Now, some people look at this and they say, does this mean that God leads people into temptation? I thought the book of James says God doesn't tempt anyone. Well, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into temptation. (laughs) We studied it in Matthew 4, three temptations, in fact. But for God, it's testing. God tests us. And you all know that he tests us for our good, right? That he might stretch us and mature us. And testing and temptation are the same Greek word. And the purpose of it and the is really determined by the context and who's doing it. God tests us not for us to fall to sin, but for us to mature. The devil would like us to fall on our face, right? And steal our soul. What the devil intends for evil, God can use for good. And here, this may be Hebrew parallelism, which means the first phrase is explained by the second. Take a look. Don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And it could be rendered the evil one here. So, Lord, if you decide to test me, help me take the way of escape. Lord, if you put me into a test, let me not fall to the tempter. Let me come out the other side having honored your name. Lord, if you decide to test me, snatch me from the snare of the devil. That's the word, actually, it could mean to snatch us out. Uh, It's an aggressive word. Deliver us from evil. Snatch me from the enemy's hand. I think, once again, Spurgeon says it well. If I must be tried, Lord, deliver me from falling into evil and especially preserve me from the evil one who above all seeks my soul to destroy it, close quote. And so there you have it. The address, three petitions about God, three petitions about us. And then you can see here that there's a final, in the New American Standard, bracketed what's called a doxology. You could just say a praise. It opens with a prayer, ends with a praise. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. All God's people said, amen. It's not the end of the sermon. Don't get too excited. It's about another five minutes left. Let me just explain what's going on here. (laughs) Some of you are like, we're out of here. Good. Close the Bible. We're gone. Not getting off that easy. All right. So here's the thing. In the, in the versions of the Bible that you hold in your hand, there were two major manuscript families that produced the versions. One major manuscript family called the Texas Receptus, or the Received Text, uh, they translated the King James and New King James Bible from those manuscripts. They were a limited amount. Then other manuscripts discoveries were made in Alexandria, Egypt, and other places, and we found older manuscripts that predated the ones used for the King James and New King James. And in many of those manuscripts, there are variant readings. They're in the one family of manuscript, King James, New King James, and not in the other. And the others are older. So they're closer to the original autographs. What do we do? Does the fact that a manuscript is older mean that it's better? Not necessarily. So you do a little bit more homework and you ask the question, why is this 
in one version, not the other? Why is it bracketed in the New American Standard, in the King James, New King James, not in the NIV? Sometimes the verses uh, in some uh, cases like this are just completely missing. Is Is it a conspiracy theory? Go on the internet and you'll find out that people are saying, it's a conspiracy. I told you the NIV was the not inspired version. People playing games in smoky rooms, wearing hoods. Take that verse out. <laughs> no, that's not what's going on. It's called a variant reading. It's one, in one manuscript and not the other. And you say, well, which one's correct? We don't know for sure here because let me just say that when the early church fathers quote the Lord's Prayer, they omit this in most of the early fathers. It's not there. However, in an ancient document called the Didache, which was written at the end of the first century, so right pretty much at the end of the events of the New Testament, if you will, it is there in this early church manual. It's in some manuscripts and not in others. And, and in some various languages, it's there and not there. What do we do with that? Was it put in by a well-meaning scribe who thought, we can't end with snatch me from evil. Let's, let's get a praise in there. Did he write it in the margin and somehow it migrated into the Bible text as it was hand copied? I don't know for sure. But I will tell you this, and we're, we're going to end with this. I want you to turn to 1 Chronicles 29. Whether this is original or not, I think, is probably irrelevant because this is biblical. We're going to 1 Chronicles. First five books of Moses, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles 29. And David has been uh, donating towards the cause of the temple. And uh, he's encouraged others to donate as well. There are resources to build the glorious temple. And this is 1 Chronicles 29. We pick it up in verse 9. Then the people, 29 out of 1 Chronicles, rejoiced because they had offered so willingly, for they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart. And King David also rejoiced greatly. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion. That's kingdom language right there, right? O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Sounds a lot like the end of Matthew six thirteen is First Chronicles twenty nine eleven, or it sounds very familiar. Both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. In your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great, to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. You've been listening to the Kingdom Prayer, Part Three on Walk in Truth. And that was the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15. And if you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is always available on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many other podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. And would you please tell a friend about Walk in Truth? We hope today's teaching will be a blessing and uplifting to someone you care about. Would you please encourage a friend or family member to listen to Walk in Truth on this station? If you're listening through your podcast app, please click the share button. Thanks so much for spreading the word about Walk in Truth. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, this kingdom prayer that Jesus gave us is such a phenomenal prayer, and it's not very long. I mean, you know, when you think about the essence of the prayer, 
it, it is really short and to the point, but it's hitting on some of the biggest things that we can do as believers. And that is we can seek our Father. We can hallow his name. We can you know, pray that his kingdom come, that his will is done here and now, just like it's done in heaven. We can be forgiving people. We can ask for forgiveness, extend forgiveness to our debtors. We can pray every day, putting on the armor of God, that the Lord will keep us from falling to temptation and that he would deliver us from evil and that he would be glorified. I mean, that's the prayer. It's so good. And it's it's simple yet profound. And I pray that it's helped you to think about just how you can simply navigate your way with the, the most important things about the kingdom of God. That's the prayer Jesus gave us, and it's a good one to live by. This is Pastor Michael Lance. You are listening to Walk in Truth, and we are going to do next time, that is on Monday, No One Can Serve Two Masters. And that's a famous section beginning in Matthew six nineteen, and moving on from there. And I want to encourage you to invite a friend to listen. Maybe you can share what you're hearing on the station. Let friends and family know how they can listen. Walkintruth.com. See you here. We appreciate our Walk in Truth financial partners. You contribute to our ministry, broadcast, and podcast. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app. you got to check it out. It's available in your app store. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com. And join us Monday for Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 6, 19 through 24, called No One Can Serve Two Masters. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.